Oh, great opportunities again, 1980 Miracle on Ice. It was so magnificent. What a joy to be in Lake Placid. Never had been there before this week to celebrate that and remember how they beat Finland in the gold medal. I mean, it was just a marvelous, amazing time. This year's Olympics has been a, a great time, uniquely different. I feel so much for our athletes to work so hard to get to this point and then have to compete uh, with nobody there in the stands, the, the challenge of that. But the USA in the last day, in the last few moments, passes China with a gold medal to have 30, what, we got 38 to their 30, uh, 39 to their 38 to uh, take the most gold medal. So we're grateful for that, USA Today. Special uh, shout out to, uh, I'm telling you, our women this year were magnificent, unbelievable. They carried a 66 out of the 113 medals were won by our women athletes this year. Basketball team, seven straight gold medals. Volleyball dominated. Track and field was amazing this year with the ladies. They were killing it. They could actually pass the baton. That seemed to help. And uh, they did well. Our very own UK, uh, Sydney McCoughlin. Did you see her two gold medals? And what I loved about Sydney is she takes time to, in the biggest stage, to share her faith and to say, as much as a gold medal means a lot, my relationship with God is what really matters. And so props to Sydney for taking that time. It, it really was quite a year, and tonight it all closes down with the closing ceremonies. Well, we know a little bit of the context of Olympics, but when the Apostle Paul, as I was just sharing with you, shares what he's going to, the teaching he's going to share with us today in the city of Corinth, there was really even a deeper depth of understanding and relating to what these Olympic Games meant. This, these Isthmus Games were played one year before the Olympics and one year after the Olympics each year. And they took precedence over everything. In fact, in 412 BC, there was a battle between Athens and, and Corinth. They were at war, but the, the Isthmus Games were about to come. And so they, they signed what was now known as the Isthmus Treaty, the truce, which allowed these Greek athletes to actually pass through Corinth in order to participate in the games like nothing was going on. And then they would pick up the battle later. I mean, think about the craziness of that. We're at war. But the games are here, so we'll stop war so we can enjoy the games, and then we'll get back to war a little bit later. So there's a deep understanding. So the metaphor of a race and Olympics is something, again, Paul's audience would really understand. And I hope today, as I share this with you, that we'll grasp the same thing the Apostle Paul wanted us to really get today. A simple but a profound truth that relates to that. Here's a big thought for us today, is that everybody is accountable for their own race, so be disciplined and run to win. So if you're going to be successful in a race, in any athletic event, those are two keys, right? You've got to be accountable for what you do, and you've got to be disciplined in order to accomplish the goal that is before you. And if you don't, we'll see today, Apostle Paul reminds us, failure to do this disqualifies yourself, disqualifies you from your influence and ultimately the prize so a heavy truth, but an important one. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, if you would, turn me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you've got your phones, go to lexcity.info. Got all of the sermon notes there. If you're new with us this morning, so glad you're joining us in person. Or those of you that are joining us online, again, lexcity.info, a place where you can find all of the details and things that are happening. So that's the historical context, right? These games, important to the region, wars stopped in order that we could participate. But let me give you a little theological background also that really sets the, the groundwork for the teaching today. We spent this summer going through the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. And if you remember the key teaching of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians was this. 
is that a person is saved. A person goes to heaven not by good works or fulfilling the law. They're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And this was a truth that he taught to both the Jews and the Gentiles, that salvation was a gift. So when he writes this letter to the book, uh, this, to the church in Corinth that we're going to read right here, I want to remind you the context, all right? He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And this is really important because when we read these verses again, at first glance, it almost appears like Paul is saying this. Run a good race, and if you run good enough, you'll get to heaven. If you run a bad race, you'll be disqualified and you'll miss heaven. I want to remind you again what Paul's talking about today because he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians that the reward he's talking about today, the reward is not heaven. The reward is eternal rewards that we'll receive someday in heaven, all right? So that's the framework. We're not running for our salvation. We're running for the rewards that come from faithful living. Really key context as we, we roll. So let's jump in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, one of my favorite passages, verse 24, it says this. Do you not realize that in a race, here's the key, everyone runs? I watched in track and field. I never saw it one time on this time where the gun went off and somebody just stood at the starting blocks and was like, uh, are we supposed to run? I don't know. No, right? When you run, everybody runs. Nobody just jogs. They don't slaunter, kind of wave, you know, people that are there. No, no. When it's run, it's run. They don't even do, you know this Olympic power walk race thing that they do? You, you watch, it's the most awkward, confusing thing. I just kind of want to say, just pull the shorts down if they're riding on you, whatever. But they're just, it's like miles of this kind of, I don't know, it always cracks me up. But here's the deal. I have no idea what that means. But Paul just says, listen, when the gun goes off, everybody who's in the race, you run. And it's important because how you run this race, you're going to be held accountable for how you run it. So the very first question that has to come to mind is simply this that I need to ask you is simply this. Are you in the race, right? If you're not in the race, it doesn't matter how fast you run because you won't receive a prize because you're not participating. So are you in the race? In the context of the Olympic Games, you had to be a Greek citizen in order to participate in the Games. So again, it didn't matter how talented and how gifted you were. If you weren't a citizen, you couldn't participate. And if you weren't a citizen, you couldn't receive the prize. And Paul is saying the same is true here today. He says, the prize I'm going to tell you about, you've got to be a citizen of heaven. You've got to be a believer. You've got to have a faith in Jesus Christ that's there. There are lots of good people doing lots of honorable things with really great intentions. But if they're not in the race, it doesn't really matter how they're running, right? Citizenship is required. So if you're a citizen, all right, and you're in the race and the gun goes off, then here's the deal. How you run really matters. Continue on in verse 24. Don't realize that everyone runs, but here's the key. Only one gets the prize. And it's your race, right? As Paul says, it's really about you. Accountability is you. At some point at the end of your life, we're not going to be graded on a curve. Like how you did in comparison to people sitting in the row next to you. Oh, feeling good, not feeling good. It's not a curve. It's not a everybody gets a ribbon because I want you to feel good about it at the end of the day. There's no participation, you know, certificates that come through this. The reality is that each one of us will give an account for our own lives before the Lord. And what's the standard? The account's gonna be based on how we live up to the standard of godly living, right? The prizes that we will receive will be based on how we have lived that godly life. So Paul says there's a purpose, right? When you're running, an individual purpose that we have, so look what he says, I love the last part, everyone who gets a prize 
So he says simply this, so run to win. He says, listen, if we're going to do this, run. You ever had the high school coach? I still remember my high school basketball coach. Like, boys, what, if, if we're going to do this every day, we're going to have practice, then, then we're going to win. And this is what it's about. If we're going to invest this kind of time. Paul's saying, listen, we're going to do this thing called the Christian life, then let's run in such a way as to win. Now, the beauty is when he says win is that in this context, everybody, everybody gets to win because we're not competing against one another. The reality of the race of our life is that we're competing against the things that will hinder our race. We're competing against our sinfulness, right? The, competing against the, the obstacles and struggles of life. We're, we're competing against the hindrances uh, of other people. It's, it's our ability to overcome the obstacles that determines if we win or not. I think about that. My, my youngest, our youngest son, Trent, a uh, great runner, he ran... Uh, track in, in college, and his event was the, the steeplechase. And you'll see a little picture of here. Now, the steeplechase, it's 3,000 meters, right? There's 28 barriers, and there's seven water jumps that you see him going here at the Kansas Invitational over. And the winner of the steeplechase isn't always the fastest person who can run 3,000 meters. The winner of the steeplechase is the person who doesn't lose momentum and speed when he goes over the obstacles, and he doesn't lose focus, right? That's the key. And as I watched and learned more about the steeplechase watching Trent, it's a crazy, crazy event. That water jump, you've got to jump up on this little obstacle that's here, and you've got to jump high enough to get your foot on the obstacle. Then you've got to push off the obstacle far enough to get out over the water while eight to ten other guys are trying to go over the obstacle at the same time. And I'm reminded it was the person who, didn't over, who overcame their fears, who had hit that barrier at full speed, stay focused on it, launched themselves off, had success in those things. I'll, I'll brag on Trent. His junior year uh, was ranked 10th in the country in this thing, and it was just fun to watch him do that. But the reality of this, who won the race was the person who navigated the 28 obstacles and the seven water jumps the best. You think about our lives, right? In the race we want running, most of us know most of the obstacles that we're facing. Most of us could probably name most of the 28 barriers and the seven water jumps in our lives. It's those hurts, those habits, and those hangups that we have. And how you and how I deal with those things on a daily basis ultimately determines how we're gonna finish and win the race. In life, isn't it true? It's not always the most talented, the most intelligent, the most gifted, the best looking people who always win the prize. It's the person who can navigate the obstacles consistently and daily that seem to have the greatest impact and the greatest influence. And this is kind of what Paul is saying to us again. He says, so he gives us some keys. He says, knowing that you're gonna have obstacles, right? This is where the race is gonna be won or lost. Let me tell you how to do that. Let's go on in verse 25, next verse. He says this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. The dreaded D word, right? It's disciplined in them. Discipline. The hard thing of giving up what was good and better for what is best. Discipline. It, the challenge of choosing what is godly over the things of this world on a daily basis, that's the struggle and that's the discipline. Discipline. It, it, it just takes that grit, Right? that inner fortitude to just say, I'm going to do the things that I know are right. Church is gonna be a priority. I'm gonna show up at my recovery group every week. I, I, I'm gonna spend time in the word. I'm gonna spend time praying. I, 
I'm gonna guard my heart and my mind and my thoughts towards the things of this world. I'm gonna just make these daily decisions. And here's the challenge of discipline, right? It's not very flashy. It's not Instagram worthy. It's just literally doing the little things consistently on a daily process over and over. And and Paul says, listen, this is what makes you an athlete. If you're disciplined or not. If you're not disciplined, you're a struggle to be an athlete that does it. It's these daily choices. So then Paul says, listen, I wanna tell you why you should be disciplined. Let me first tell you why you don't, and let me give you then why you should. He says, so here's the challenge of these athletes that are highly disciplined. Go on to verse 25. All athletes are disciplined in the training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. An athlete at the Isthmus Games wins this. Greatest in the world, modern world, as we know this time. At the end, they would receive what our English translation says, a crown. In reality, what this really was, it's a wreath or it's a garland of green fur leaves. I put a little bit of a picture there on the screen for you. You do all this effort, win this competition to win a wreath made up of some leaves that probably could be found multiple places in the region And you take it home and you hang it up. And ladies, what happens to flowers in these kind of reefs over a quick period of time? They begin to turn brown and they begin to wilt. Uh, I was reminded back in the day, some of you ladies, uh, remember when scrapbooking was a big deal? And so Tammy was the queen of scrapbooking. And uh, so we had all these scrapbooks. And uh, a while back, I was looking through one of them that was back when we were dating. And I'm flipping through the pages and I see this rose that I had given her back when we were dating. And it's smashing this scrapbook and it's, it's dead and it's withery and all the petals are falling off. And I'm like, babe, I said, why do you keep this dead old rose? And she says, well, it reminds me of you. <laughs> and it's old, it's fading, and its leaves are falling off. 31 years later, it's probably an accurate description of why she does. It's sad but true. But here's the thing, it, 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 it fades away into a memory. Every time I read this passage and, and I think about this principle, I'm reminded in my own life. It was my sophomore year in college, and uh, my dad was a college basketball coach, and so I I grew up around it, and one of my favorite times as a little kid, I remember just looking up to all these guys, and at the end of conference tournaments, they would hand out awards, and at the end of national tournaments, they would hand out All-American awards, and and I just thought, oh, it's so amazing as a little kid being around this. So it's my sophomore year in college, national tournament, and, uh, and I win a, an All-American award, and I was so excited, and it was this great honor as a childhood. I remember these things. I thought it was so great. And so I had this, and I thought, listen, we're in Oklahoma City. It's a long trip back home. I don't want to put it in my bag because somebody could lose it. I mean, I've waited since I was six years old for this thing. I don't, somebody would lose it, and, and something would happen to it, so I'm going to hang on to it. So Tam and I were coming back in the, in the bus, and it's a long trip from Oklahoma City, and I, and I fall asleep, and we finally roll back on campus, and, uh, and I can't find my plaque. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I had fallen asleep on the way back, and the plaque had fallen out of my lap, and it had fallen onto the bottom of the bus. And <laughs> you want to talk about glory fading? I couldn't even get this home to show my mom before it was already scratched up and tarnished and things like this. Paul reminds me, man, this is life. <laughs> You thought this would be it, and you haven't. You can't even get it home to show your mom. It's the things that fade so quickly. And this is what he wants to remind us about our lives. If this is how it happens, how do we, how do we think about that? Paul's asking us, listen, we're not talking just about Olympic gold or, or silly trophies. We're talking about what, what are you giving your life to? What are you passionate about that you're giving your time and your treasure and your talents towards? 
And is what you're investing it into, does it have any real lasting value? That's the challenge. You see, tonight the Olympic Games are going to come to a close, and the ceremony will end, and uh, some will come back as with a little bit of fame and, and local heroes, but it really will fade very quickly. In fact, I was thinking about it tonight. Do any of you know who uh, Lee Kiefer is? Anybody? Lee, one of our very own few of us here, Lexingtonians, all right, that she's here. She just won Olympic gold in, in fencing. Now, Lee, she's amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about what she has accomplished. She is a four-time NCAA champion. She's a 10-time Pan American champion. She's a nine-time individual Pan American champion. She's a 2018 Team World champion. She's a three-time Olympian. And just in this last Olympics, she won Olympic gold. And all of those amazing accomplishments, listen, if most of us walked by her in the mall, we would have no idea who she is. A lifetime. She's dedicated to a sport to be the best in the world. And the glory is already faded. By the time she's back in Lexington, most of us won't recognize her or ever know who she is. And Paul says that, you know, what are we giving our lives to? Because tonight, a, a challenging and a sad thing will happen. Tonight at the end of the ceremony, hundreds of athletes all over this world will wake up tomorrow morning and be nothing more than ex-Olympic athletes. And what are they gonna do with their lives? They've given their whole life to do this one thing that isn't very transferable into the marketplace. I mean, it's hard to go to Toyota and give a job when your biggest skill is, well, I'm really great on the uneven bars. You know, you're like, ah, now who am I? What have I done? And what have I given my life towards? And that's so much a challenge that he says. Paul says, listen, what are you giving your life towards that really matters? If my goal is to climb the corporate ladder and I spend my life doing that and I accomplish that, and 20 years later, my company sells our company to another company and they decide, hey, we want to downside and go younger. What I, I gave up, what did I give my life up for? What did I miss my kids' games for? 20 years later, nobody, you don't care. I, I, for my own security, I, I want to pile this nest egg. I, I want my 40K to be strong, and I want to put stuff away in the market so we're ready, and I'm secure. That works wonderful until the, stark, the stock market crashes. Then it's, what have I sacrificed for? That's here. You, you, know the, you know what I'm saying. I give my life, my identity, and everything is wrapped up into my kids, and then my kids leave the house, and it's like, who am I? Where did I lose myself in the midst of all these things? And Paul says, listen, this is the key. What are you giving your life to that really matters? Does it have eternal value? Because the one thing I know that's so true is simply this. Listen, if you haven't given your life to something that has eternal value at the end, it will fade and you'll be disappointed. It'll happen every time. That's why about four weeks from now, you'll find Olympic gold medals on eBay for sale, right? Tarnished. I thought this was going to be it, and I'd rather have something else. Paul says, man, our hearts are there. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about it this way. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But... If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but like someone barely escaping through the wall of the flames. Again, important language, right? Paul reminds us again, the builder will be saved, right? This teaching is that as a believer, we're not dealing with this area of salvation. Your salvation is secure, but he's saying, listen, you'll be saved, but the rewards of your life will be burned away. So what should we give our lives to? Go to the last part of verse 25. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but here's the key. But we do it for an eternal prize. Paul speaks of this moment of the Bema seat of Christ. And, and in the Bible, there's two judgments that the Bible speaks of. The Bema seat, which we'll spend just a moment, we'll talk about it, and in the great white throne judgment. And a little bit later in the fall, we're gonna do a series on end times and the book of Revelations. We'll talk a little bit more about these. But this second one, the, the great white throne judgment, right? This is the judgment, and the, and the criteria of this judgment is simply this. Is your name found in the Lamb's book of life? All right, the world will stand before have you placed your faith in Christ or not? Revelations 20 says it this way. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and the sky, they fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a great white throne judgment. Determine eternity said, either eternity in heaven with Christ or eternity separated from, from God in a place the Bible calls hell. That, that's not the judgment that the Apostle Paul's talking about in this, in this passage. Here he's talking about the Bema Seat judgment. And the Bema Seat judgment, I, I always, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like kindergarten reward, award ceremony. Remember this at the end of kindergarten? Your teacher, would, your parents would all come and grandma would come and, and uh, then they would hand out awards. And I still remember kindergarten awards day. Uh, I received the best rester award. Uh, which gave indication at a very young age I had little to no academic prowess and I struggled socially, but I could sleep like nobody's business. And I had a Bigfoot resting mat. Some of you remember the Bigfoot uh, resting mat? Oh, it was a beautiful thing. So that was the beauty of, Chris, uh, of kindergarten, right? Everybody receives a prize. That's gonna be the way it is at the Bema seat. We won't be judged in a negative sense, but we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. So if you have your faith and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you. As pastors, we like to almost, we're not careful, teach it this way because it, it guilts everybody to do the right thing. We always say, would you, how would you feel when you stand before God and all the sins of your life and your grandma sees all the things that you did and she's like, oh, Billy, I can't believe you did that. That may motivate you out of fear, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bema Seat says this, because there's no guilt, there's no shame in heaven, right? The Bema Seat is like kindergarten awards night. Everybody's gonna be rewarded based on your faithfulness, but there will be differing degrees based on how you lived your life. Look what 2 Timothy 4 says. Great things with the, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearance. Otherwise, there's not just one person that wins the race, it's each individual that does there. Matthew uh, chapter 25, I think the thing, wouldn't we all love to have this set of us at the end of our lives? Your master was full of praise. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let us celebrate together. So here's the idea. The rewards, at that time, return rewards, 
If we're faithful with a small, we'll be entrusted with more. It's, the rewards, are they vary based on our faithfulness and how we've ran our race as we go. But it isn't a sense of guilt and shame, but rewards it there. So Paul simply says this. This is why you should be motivated to live your life differently because God sees, God knows, and God rewards. And the rewards that you'll receive in heaven are eternal. They're, they're not like a wreath that's gonna fade over a period of time. It's not like fading glory that you may have that moment, but six months later you come back to your own town and nobody even knows who you are. It's an eternal thing that's there. So that being the case, he says, man, you gotta run to win. You, you gotta run with joy. Well, you gotta run with a sense of purpose. Go to verse 26. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Again, Paul, the great sports guy, says, listen, let's just be honest. If you've ever seen shadow boxing, listen, he says, there's a lot of posers out there. And they're out there shadow boxing and they look so good. They look so fast. They look so, they float like a butterfly. They sting like a bee. And in their mind, they are, think they are so great and so amazing and so ungodly. But it's kind of like the great theologian Mike Tyson once says, everybody has a plan until you get hit in the face. Paul says, man, you can shadow box all day you want. But I'm gonna tell you what. When those 28 obstacles and those seven water jumps come into your race, they're gonna give evidence of the authenticity of, of your faith. When adversity hits, when adversity hits, your faith will be quickly revealed. The depth of your disciplines will be on full display once you get hit in the mouth, and then we'll see, are you just shadow boxing or does your faith mean something to you? So how do you do it? Verse 27, he goes on, there's the key. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Powerful truth, right? Paul said, I'm not training my, my body just to do what I want to do or what I feel good. I'm going to train what I know it should do. And Paul, who writes many of his epistles from a prison cell, understands what daily discipline is all about, right? It's like, man, there's no shortcuts here. There's no easy route. If this was easy, if the Christian life was easy, everybody would do it. This is a work. This is discipline. There's no easy roads. He simply says this, man, show me your daily disciplines, right? And I'll show you your faith. Greek athlete, before he would go into the Olympic Games, would take a, an oath of discipline. For 10 months, he would sign this oath. For 10 months, I will discipline my body and do these things to be prepared for the race. Same is true with us, right? Success is found in a few disciplines practiced daily. It really comes down. It's a few disciplines, but practicing daily. I, great theologian, real theologian, Charles Spurgeon said this, you know, there are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross-bearers here below. That's what Paul's saying to us as we go. So it's this kind of discipline, right? It's not just something Paul says to us. Listen, I want you to consider this. Ponder this. As a Christ follower, maybe you kind of want to live your life this way, and that's not what he says. He says, listen, you're, you're in a race. There is no choice here. This is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. And if you fail to do that, he says, you'll be disqualified. Go on to verse, last part of verse 27. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So a Greek athlete, if they were disqualified from the races, can I just remind you, they would not lose their citizenship, but they would lose the prize at the end of the race. Paul says the same, same is true with us, right? As a believer in your citizenship in heaven, your eternity and your salvation is secure but your rewards are dependent upon how you live your life here on earth. So he says it matters and what we do. So the race begins and the gun sounds. And some of you, 
that are younger, man, you are on the first long stretch before the first turn and you are rolling and you're excited and you're ready to go. And I'm telling you how you run that first, into that first turn dramatically affects how you end. It's an exciting time. Some of you are a little farther in this journey and <laughs> we've made the final turn and, and now we're on the long stretch to the home and the lungs are burning and the legs are cramping up and now it's just a sense of man, I gotta do what I know I gotta do and finish well along these things. And the question really is, how are you running your race, right? Are, are you keeping your body disciplined? <laughs> are, are you focused on, on the prize at the end or have you become distracted with the things of this world? And Paul has done a lot of life and been around a lot of people. And Paul understands, boy, this the tragedy of running so well and then disqualifying yourself at the end. And I think about that, right? I think about that in my life. I, I, as I, my years in ministry and just with people, there's three things I see creep up over and over, three things that scare me in my own life. And the three things are simply this, their pride, their greed, and it's lust. One of these three, three things have derailed most of the Christians that I know in their faith journey as they go. And when I say those three things, most every one of us can already have a name and a face of somebody who disqualified themselves. They're, they're still brothers and sisters in Christ, right? But their ministry, their influence, their family, their legacy has been dramatically tarnished over these three things. Pride and greed and lust. You, you think about pride. I mean, the opposite of that is humility, right? Nobody is born humble. If you know anybody has humility in your life, this is a discipline that has been daily worked on and developed in your life because natural sense of who we are, pride always rises up. And so my encouragement for you is this, what are you doing daily to build humility into your life? We all have some areas in our life where we're really good at being humble and we always have some areas in our life that pride creeps in. I'm just telling you, in those areas, you know it in your life where it creeps in. What are you doing to combat that actively, the discipline of humility? You think of greed, right? Sense of entitlement, the sense of, I deserve these things, you know. Generosity, the Bible teaches over and over, is a thing that keeps greed squelched in our lives. That's why we preach and talk a lot about generosity. The reality is we just know we have to talk about it because in our flesh, what's the opposite? Greed will come out. The Bible teaches so many different ways. I mean, Jesus, the whole principle of, of, of a tithe is just to remind us that, listen, God is the source of our abilities and our wealth and the things that we have. And so we give back just so we're reminded not everything I get is for me. And so it's the antidote towards that kind of, of greed that comes in their life or, or lust, right? Lust of our thoughts, lust of our eyes. Paul says, man, there's this discipline to, to keep your eyes focused on what's important. We all walk around with these little screens that give us intimate and private access to a lot of things that will derail us from the prize that's before. Paul just says discipline is the key. See, like a steeplechase, right? There's 28 barriers, seven water jumps. How we navigate those things determines how we finish the race.
So Paul says, listen, navigate these things well. First Corinthians chapter 15, as I close, he simply says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He said, man, be encouraged. God sees, God knows, and God rewards. So tomorrow morning, when you go to work, when you interact with your classmates, be reminded that those acts of kindness, those choices of, of integrity, those disciplines of spending some time with the Lord in the morning, or those disciplines and guarding your eyes from those things that you think nobody sees and doesn't matter at all, Paul says, man, that is the whole battle. Success comes from little disciplines practiced daily. And Paul says, just have joy in this. Know that someday we'll have the wonderful joy of standing before the Lord and be able to count for our lives and to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. So run with purpose and run with joy and run with the prize in mind. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. I just, I love that for me, he speaks my language in terms of Competition. Thank you that you created us that way to enjoy the thing of sport. But God, all those lessons translate so much into our own lives. And so today I pray for us as a church family. We're all at different points on these races, but we have 28 barriers and seven water jumps between now and the end of the prize. So God, help us to navigate those well. Help us to have the courage Help us to have the humility, the authenticity to ask others to come alongside, the courage to just make the right choice. And God, help us to have this eternal perspective, as Paul says, that we run not for a wreath that will wither, but we run for something that is eternal for your glory. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.